0: day I'm feeling good the possibilities
1: of what What happens when a blind man, a woman of color and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, equity and inclusion can impact businesses?
0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group.
1: I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group.
2: And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy.
0: Welcome to our holiday episode here at Choose Inclusion Podcast. And today we have a really great new friend uh, who we met. Her name's Megan Abman. And Megan is not only the sales enablement manager at Foreman's Interactive, which is a wonderful, local, uh, locally founded Colorado company, here in Denver, but she's also the chief diversity officer. And Megan, I'd love for you to explain sort of the, as you call it, the paradigm or the construct of your um, diversity and inclusion initiatives uh, and strategy at 4 Winds, because the conversation we're gonna have today is, is how to create a strategy around DEI for your organization, right?
3: Yeah, so, happy yeah. to, Great. and especially going into 2020, I imagine that a lot of your listeners are thinking about, mm, how can I be more strategic with my diversity, equity, inclusion efforts? Absolutely. Um, So at Four Winds Interactive, we uh, mirrored a paradigm first presented by Coltramp. where we really proposed this idea of rotating a steering committee members, not only those um, uh, at the individual contributor level, but also the chief diversity officer role as well. Um, This is all intended to make sure that we can mitigate bias and um, really diminish the susceptibility of our blind spots when we are coming up with diversity, equity, inclusion efforts for the organization. And on top of that, um, it allows the organization to elevate their DEI efforts where it doesn't reside within just one person. Um, So we do this on an annual basis. And when you do that too, as folks rotate out of the DEI steering committee, they then become internal champions for DEI, which is really, really exciting, makes it way more contagious and initiatives just go faster and faster from there, really evolving the dialogue and engaging a wider uh, workplace.
1: That's really cool. So how did you go about kicking off this kind of rotating CDO role and kicking off this whole conversations
3: around building a strategy around DEI? So I attribute a lot of our success to Karen Liu and Kate Benversi. Um Karen Liu was the one who proposed the idea of starting a DEI uh, steering committee within FWI and then wanted to creatively problem solve for the fact that we didn't have a lot of budget allocated to DEI to have folks take on this additional work. So it wasn't like we were gonna hire someone externally with a full-time salary, but instead just leverage everyone's passion internally to make it really uh, align with FWI's culture. Um, So then from there, uh, it's continually evolving. So the first DEI steering committee looks vastly different than even just the second year's iteration. The first year really, focused on establishing its purpose, the framework in which they want to um, achieve all these initiatives. So we have three pillars. The first pillar is show up. The second one is learn. And then the final one is celebrate. Um, And so kind of leaning on those pillars in our purpose statement from there, we're able to strategically align our initiatives to what's already in place and evolve from there.
2: I love the idea, Megan, and thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things uh, with, with my efforts out there working with uh, DE&I uh, leaders and just organizations who are embracing DE&I, I truly believe that having an executive sponsor within these initiatives is critical for any kind of success. What say you regarding this within uh, four wins?
3: Yeah, so our Chief People Officer, Courtney Graham, has been phenomenal and she is absolutely a DEI champion through and through. I think as we're talking about this notion of strategy and how to have a little bit more of a strategic impact with DEI, um, I encourage folks to contemplate how they can engage other C-suite folks or executive sponsors within the organization. And for me, the best way to do this is to tailor the argument to not necessarily DEI, but employee performance. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I'm so passionate about DEI because if everyone feels included, um, seen, valued, we'll best believe that they're going to bring their best work to the table mm-hmm. instead of worrying about the impressions that I'm making on others because I'm other and allowing my other otherness to marginalize my performance and what my ability that I can bring to the table um, by making sure that folks endorse DEI all of a sudden, now everyone within the organization is going to dedicate all their cognitive energy to the task at hand, rather than wondering, I feel awkward about saying this comment or proposing this idea because I don't look like everyone else in the organization. I
0: love all of this. I mean, there's two things uh, top of mind right now. So one is, and we've talked about this before on the show, is that, you know, some of the questions we get are, well, whose responsibility is this? And it seems like the the, the way you've constructed this is it becomes everybody's responsibility, no question, and the responsibility gets shared because you're you're shifting it throughout the organization by having this rotating model. So everybody gets a chance to 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 sort of drive the effort, which For is sure. great because it it I mean that speaks right there to you know the diversity uh, that and, and how diversity can truly um, really drive performance i think that's the the second thing that's top of mind is metrics and, and measuring this i'd love to you know learn how you you all are doing that because um it, the, the the metric you can measure this stuff right and it's if you can tie it to things like performance then i think that goes a long way and i think we've all experienced this but that goes a long way in, in getting that executive buy-in if you can sort of put it in that that frame of mind of look this isn't just a ho hum kind of thing you know it's just not a touchy feely thing this is actually going to drive better business
3: exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and i want to make sure like of course i fundamentally believe that this is the right thing to do absolutely but i also attribute a lot of my athletic background of of course i want to bring all my teammates to the table like why would i want to marginalize talent Mm -hmm. um what's your athletic background yeah Oh, so you just gonna like, like drop yeah, that, and i yeah, like, yeah. what's this totally. about? <laughs> um, <no> so <laughs> I played uh, Division I soccer out in Buffalo, no uh, way. a full-ride That's scholarship. Awesome. Yeah, really enjoyed my experience, but athletics has always been so ingrained in um, my childhood and really shaped my character and integrity moving forward. But with that being said, like if I want to make sure I'm a team player within the organization and a lot of leaders like to think that they're really inclusive, mm-hmm. Um, by making sure that there's enough psychological safety among their team, like that's gonna fuel innovation and make sure that everyone's perspectives is valued at the table. And then from there, you're able to pick out the susceptibilities, problem solve together, and other ways that you probably wouldn't have um, if you didn't foster that level of psychological safety. So what's cool within FWI is that we roll out um, training and awareness around how to foster psychological safety as a leader not only to encouraging how new hires can contribute um, with their innovative ideas, but then also what do you do with the existing managers as well and how can you cultivate that skill?
0: Well, and that touches on two things that you, Nina, you've talked about onboarding, Mike, you've mm-hmm. talked about sort of that leadership, like leading by example, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, 100%, I, I, I love what you're saying. Leaders like to feel like they're, uh, being inclusive and they're, they're being part of the overall talent strategy solution. Uh, I don't believe in, <laughs> don't believe in trickle down economics, but I do believe that uh, bad management or crappy management uh, trickles down. And so without uh, leaders truly embracing that talent uh, looks, truly looks different, right? Uh, than w- without that thought process being embraced at the very top, Guess what? Then the opposite is gonna be pervasive throughout that organization. And so therefore the hiring managers below them uh, are gonna start hiring right based on what that leader, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, thinks that uh, talent should look like. So I love hearing four wins and and just embracing from the leadership down because that is pervasive throughout an organization. Mm
3: -hmm. For sure. And you might be thinking like for your listeners and um, they, they may be thinking, okay, that's great that this is happening at four wins. Like, how can I apply maybe a little bit of strategic pressure to my managers to really foster that inclusivity?
1: No and doubt I think people
3: have that question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. I think you have to work off of the first premise is that human capital or workface, workforce within an organization, that's the driving force for success. So if I'm a manager, I'm going to be held accountable for my respective team's success and performance. If you're telling me that this is the key to help foster success and to optimize performance for my team, sign me up. Mm -hmm. And it's not about, you know, uh, political leanings or anything like that. Like, I think everyone can get on board with this notion of DEI fuels performance.
2: I'd like to. this is one of the other uh, things I like to talk about the DE and I space. Love to get your perspective on this, Megan. Is I believe within the Fortune ten thousand space, uh, DE and I, d and I. These initiatives are truly the heartbeat of organizations. You know, organizations are look at almost like this. You know, callous. It's all about the numbers. And and again, they're, if they're for profit, they've got to. They're beholden to whether it's on their shareholders uh, or their owners in general, right? Uh, for the organization. So it's super important. However, I believe DEI and these DEI initiatives are absolutely the heartbeat of organizations. What do you say about that?
3: I love that you brought that up. I think a lot of times, because organizations know that DEI fuels performance, they're desperate to make some initiatives. But I think one of the issues that inundates a lot of organizations is that they try and create initiatives that are a little bit performative and not really productive. So for instance, like, oh, it's really important for us to gather and ask about folks' pronouns, for instance. Well, if folks within your organization doesn't, they don't understand and fundamentally understand why asking someone's pronouns is important, what impact does that really make, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, yes, there's definitely that need and that demand, but I would also encourage your listeners to really pause and think like, okay, is this productive or is this just kind of checking the box? And I wonder, especially with larger organizations that's trying to drive profitability through DEI, sometimes they're so quick to wanna to be so supportive that they're almost supportive in the wrong ways, making it performative and thereby undermining their DEI efforts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but like the, the pacemaker way of doing it versus the actual heart, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually, being that that centerpiece that that everything truly should flow through in my opinion to be able and we've talked about this before about being able to translate all of these things in the right way so that every employee can absolutely get behind it so that they're aligned then they're passionate about it because the, the organization has taken the time to communicate these things you know, in the right way. And you all do something cool, which is um, you post a lot of things around the office, right? So there's constant, you know, definitions or messages related to all of this, right?
3: Yeah. So to make sure that our efforts within FWI aren't performative, like let's say when we roll out unconscious bias training, um, we leverage our internal signage, our digital signage to then reinforce those biases that we talk about um, that come about because of unconscious bias. And so that way, um, not only are we increasing our return on investment with that training from a DEI perspective, but then it's salient in everyone's minds as they walk into an interview, they look up and they say, oh, right, affinity bias. I wanna make sure I don't fall susceptible to that as I'm looking at potential teammates.
1: So how do you, I mean, I think one of the common things that happen in a lot of companies is that when there's a person designated to kind of run DEI initiatives, they end up taking on a lot of emotional labor, right? Um, because you know, as much as you, know, you are talking to leadership about this isn't just about the right thing to do, this is good performance, this is good for the company, there is kind of like, the reason a lot of us get into this space is because we actually do think it's the right thing to do and we care deeply about it. Um, you know, how do you handle kind of that emotional load that goes into implementing these strategies at your company? And, you know, how do you make sure that you're able to stay sustainable?
3: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that within the DEI space, burnout is very, very prevalent. Mm -hmm. And that's because, like you said, the emotional labor. Um, I think coming into the chief diversity officer role, it was really surprising to me how much things that felt in my mind were simple, yes, why wouldn't we do it? Became like, it, it felt like pulling teeth to be able to like get the right people at the table, to have kind of the right discussions. And so for me, I, that was really a humbling experience where I really need to be patient in how I allow these aha moments to foster in other people's minds. Just because I've been there doesn't mean that I should rush other people. And having that patience and really connecting on an interpersonal level with that regard, that's gonna create way more buy-in in in the long run rather than me trying to push these initiatives. And so that was a major lesson, uh, especially for this like first, uh, gosh, uh, probably five months in this role. And so looking ahead to my next seven months, that's something that I have to keep in mind to make sure that I get the most engagement from FWI employees.
1: That makes a lot of sense because then also it's like, you're gonna be passing the torch on to someone else, it's not like your one year is done and then diversity is done at four wins, <laughs> it's, right? Or you know, diversity and issues are done at four right. wins. It's like you're you're setting it up for the next person, and that person can grow off of all this, you know, the groundwork that you've been building for the year.
3: Totally, and that was one of the things when I came mm-hmm. into this role was really telling everyone within the organization that look, especially when it comes to DEI, um, mistakes are going to be made, one hundred and ten percent. Like it is almost. And what does it even mean for an organization to be diverse, mm-hmm. right? It's like, right. oh, we made it, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. pop yes. the bottles. Right, like, no, right. that's not a thing. It's always a moving target. There's yep. no one size fits all solution. Yep. So with that being said, the biggest thing that I ask of everyone is just engage. Even if maybe you don't know how to ask, like let, let's at least acknowledge that there's that level of psychological safety so everyone can come to the table. Um, one challenge that we recently ran into is that our biggest opportunity um, is with our male population within FWI as they make up 70% of our employee base. One thing we didn't consider though is like, we're so proud on one hand of how quickly the discussion has evolved within FWI, but on the other hand, we have to make sure that we consider, okay, how do we still build up that baseline knowledge so that people can engage? There's someone who attended um, our DEI steering committee and he was like, I don't even know how to talk about this stuff. I want to learn. I don't even know what it means to check my privilege. And I know, sure, maybe some folks in the DEI space would be really frustrated by that comment, but I think that's an opportunity of like how you can make an ally and really craft and cultivate an ally, allyship within your organization. So uh, staying patient in that regard and making sure that you're taking a pulse on everyone's understanding. Yeah
2: i i love that uh well uh, first of all just for a uh a male any employee right to feel uh safe enough to be able to make that comment regardless of uh, where that person was coming from right it's because we we've, we've talked about this before those safe places and organizations uh at the very least should um to me create those safe places to be able to have those kind of comments of You know, I'm feeling because that's 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 coming from a space of vulnerability. Right. Which is which is true courage. Right. To be able to to be able to make that comment. So so even though like, okay, so check. Yeah, we we don't know how to maybe address that. However, let's let's look at where he felt safe enough to be able to make that kind of comment to be able for us as an organization to learn from. Mm -hmm. Right. And and so for me, from the people with disabilities community, I, you know, get that 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 is a recurring theme all the time. Like, like, hey, I don't know if if, if I say like, hey, did you see that movie? Wait, look over there. Like there's all these, They don't know how to address talking to a blind guy right and and i'm allowed to say i'm a blind guy okay so um i'm very respectful to the people with disabilities they're people first Mm -hmm. however i call myself a blind guy and it's okay because that's me i'm referring to me right and if people have an uncomfortableness in and around that kind those kind of conversations like i don't even know what to say or how to say that and one of the one of the like six words, and and um, I'll, I'll send you an invoice for this later for four wins. Um, <laughs> upcoming <laughs> mic drop. Upcoming mic drop so alerts. A, yeah, just, uh, just a small small fee, ten thousand dollars. So it's all good. Uh, <laughs> but truly, I, I I mean, I always lead with uh, the mantra, like my my six words that'll that'll cover thy that, butt, regardless of who you are as an organization. How can I best assist you? Right, if you create a mantra in just those six words where all of a sudden now people feel okay uh, to be able to say like, hey, I, I don't know your, what I call pound of pain, I don't know that, however, you know, how can I best assist you? So at least you're creating that conversation and, and it allows somebody to then know like, oh, okay, so I'm allowed to talk about whether it's reasonable accommodations or I'm talking about pronouns or I'm talking about biases where at least they have that opening in, in a way that is, you know, very receptive, right? So that how can I best assist you kind of mantra, like again, what organization wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't thrive within that kind of a mantra. Yeah. Well, I
0: think that the best way to start, and I, I think we would all agree, is education. And, um, you know, Megan, you put together a great unconscious bias, sort of 101, and you're continuing to build upon that because it's not, um, it's not a one and done. It can't be. And for, for that gentleman, um, you know, it was basically asking, like, how can I learn? And what, you know, I think what you're saying, Mike, is, is to answer that question of how can I best assist you, learning
2: learning it's, you know but it, and it's it's coming from that point like so you're creating an environment first and foremost that he feels safe from there yep. right yep. and and it's that but as an organization to be able to reply well how can i best assist you in this effort right so so because i think he probably or people know innately on what they're needing but they don't necessarily always have their proper environments. We've talked about this, how many environments are just not conducive to be able to even ask that. And then for organizations to go out and say, well, you know what, let's, let's continue to look at learning opportunities. Cause there's a ton, of, we, we've talked about so many just within um, the Choose Inclusion podcast family, you know, how many, you know, from neurodiversity uh, training to unconscious bias training to, I mean, there's so much amazing training and content that's out there that organizations, they wanna like, share this space. That's why I got go back to like, I truly believe the DE&I space is like the heartbeat because are some, there's some really active members in this community who want to help.
0: Well, and maybe that's where, I mean, what do you all think about, you know, the, the sort of a common goal or mission of, of these groups within organizations should be to first and foremost create that safe space because you can't have, you know, you can't have these brave discussions and you can't collaborate and get buy-in unless you actually have that safe space to be able to have those conversations, right?
3: I couldn't agree more. Psychological safety is the number one predictor of group performance and success yeah. for that reason, because you're able to be vulnerable. You're not worried about impression management anymore. And you're able to focus at the task and problem solve at hand. So for you to mention that as, you know, FWI accomplishing this environment, like right now I'm filled with so much gratitude and pride For everything that you know, all the DEI steering committee members have contributed, but also just four wins overall. That was to you, Mike. She was pointing at you. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Sorry. She was all you. Sorry. Needs to get better. Did see that, Megan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. In
2: case you didn't notice the cane over here. (laughs) This is a safe
3: space, Mike. on top of like you know having folks being vulnerable enough to ask, like, yeah, what can I do? And besides just education, I think everyone in the DEI space needs to do some introspection and really being prepared on how to help coach up folks who wanna be a little bit more inclusive. A lot of times I think um, we're so harsh on pointing out why or how people have messed up in the DEI space, Mm -hmm. rather than being a little bit more patient and knowing, okay, no, these are the specific actions that I would love to see you make. A lot of times people just think about the conceptual Like goals and vision without really breaking it down to, okay, but what are the specific actionable behaviors that an ally can really accomplish? Love that. Call out versus call in culture. Instead of calling folks out and kind of shaming them, Mm -hmm. calling them in and get them into this conversation. For sure. And best believe like in that moment, now you have a champion. Yeah. That's where you win people over.
2: Love it. Well, I, I personally, I just so appreciate your uh, perspective on this, Megan. I really do. So I'm cool. um, super excited to have you on uh, episode. I think this is like. Uh, yeah,
1: we're not. We're this not is the holiday numbering. episode. This is the Michael. holiday episode. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Let's just leave it at
1: that. And I'm hoping that people will take some of the stuff that they learned from Megan today and actually start applying that into their 2020 strategy. For sure. Because uh, now is the perfect time to get those
3: conversations started.
0: As, as sort of a, a closing note, how would someone get started?
3: in wanting to become strategic in there.
0: Yeah, like what's the best way to start cuz we've covered a lot of stuff, but I think I think people want to know like what's the best way to get started it's, in your mind.
3: Yeah, for me, the best way to get started is just to start. So, let's say um, you haven't had a DEI steering committee or group established within your respective organization, just go ahead and make it happen. You know it's not going to be 100% perfect, but it's always it's okay for it to be a living breathing evolving mechanism within your organization, because as it should, if it's perfect right away, well, you really have to ask yourself, is this performative or is it productive? Because mm-hmm. you're always gonna have an influx of employees coming in in, in your organization, out your organization. How is it that you can be as attentive to those folks within your building, within those four walls, but then outside of that respective community as well? Um, and then from there, I'd say, critically examine the benefits in place you know, cause that's an easy way of making sure that your efforts, your respective organizations efforts are equitable. And then also think about, okay, if there's a major theme that we want to accomplish this year in 2020, let's think of about of several different mechanisms of how we can achieve that same goal. So like, let's say um, it's around allyship. Okay, we'll talk about what authentic leadership looks like in maybe like a town hall setting where uh, you have a leader within your organization talk about how they've been inclusive and everything like that to really model that behavior. Then you open up a space for um, mental health or anything like that. But once again, just to get that allyship of what it looks like for so many different aspects of DEI.
1: Awesome. Those are great, great tips.
3: And I'm I'm hoping that our listeners will go and take that to heart and start kicking off more of these initiatives inside their companies too. Well, and whenever they have questions or anything like that, they want to bounce ideas, uh, please feel free to contact me directly.
1: Awesome. We'll put your contact information on our website so people will be able to contact you directly with that stuff too.
0: Thank you for bringing this present for the holidays oh. and this conversation <laughs> yeah. was an absolute gift.
2: Uh, happy holidays
0: <laughs> to everyone. Happy holidays to all of you. Megan, thank you for being here. And yeah, I well, think we're out. Yeah, yeah,
1: we'll see you in the new year. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Special thanks to our producer Spencer Cross and VP Legacies, which helps increase your employee and customer retention, utilizing corporate communication strategies. Find out more at vplegacies.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. We'll be publishing a new episode on the first Thursday of every month, and you can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, or contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.